I mentioned that I had been given a challenge by an older, wiser friend of mine who said, what if you only had 10 weeks left in your current ministry setting, what 10 messages would you deliver to your congregation? And as I was doodling that thought, you know, what, out of all the Bible, out of all the talks that I've given over almost 40 years, uh, what, what would you go back to? What would you reemphasize? And this thought of only God kept coming back. Uh, what are the scenes that we see through the scriptures where only God's involvement, only God's intervention can explain how something happens that's really important? And so we're, we're tracking with that theme in this series. And uh, today I'd like to bring you back to Genesis again. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out from the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah in Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to, to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we've gathered again this Sunday morning and... Once again, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, through the worship, through our prayer times here, even in the moments of silence. Thank you for being a God who cares about us, a God who reveals yourself, a God who communicates to people. When we quiet down, when we direct our thoughts toward you, when we allow your scriptures to break into our busyness and all of the agendas that we create for ourselves, you quietly remind us of how you have guided people in the past, how you've answered prayers, how you continue to direct our ways. And so we want to invite you to direct us, to straighten out the path before us, to redirect us, move us from the wrong path into the right path, to change our hearts, to invade our thoughts. We ask you to hear our prayers and to rescue us when we're in trouble. But not only in times of trouble do we want to reach out to you, we want to call on you and, and ask that you would fill every day and that you would give us a sense of who we are when we become a part of your family and when we trust you. Lord, we live in a troubled world. We live in a world where there are a lot of things we can't explain about why evil happens, about why dictators try to crush one nation or another or obliterate cities. We can't solve the crime in our own country or all of the hunger problems all at once. And yet we know that you use people like us to step into the midst of all of these things and that you bring great amounts of 
of peace and wholeness and joy when we are in sync with your plans for us, when we are following your purposes, when we are surrendering to you. So in the midst of all this complexity, we ask that you would meet us right here today, that you would hear our cries, that you'd answer our prayers, and that you would enfold us into the midst of what you're doing. Thank you for being a God who forgives our sins, for a God who is very patient with all the mistakes that we make, all of the, the wrong paths that we choose. Thank you for being a God who chases us down and who brings us back into the fold and who continues to show love. Help us to be people who mirror that same kind of approach that you have showed to us. Allow us to be people of grace and mercy and truth as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever thought about your own story and what kind of impact or reach the story of your life will have? How far could that reach? When you live on the South Shore of Massachusetts long enough, it becomes somewhat common to meet people who have descended from the original pilgrims of Plymouth. Uh, there are probably some people here, and I'm not even aware of, it, aware of it, but you have descended from those original families. Now, that said, the first descendant that, from the pilgrims that I ever met uh, was somebody that I met when I was living in Denver, Colorado. Dr. Bob Alden was one of my Old Testament professors, and he was a direct descendant of John Alden. And it seems that since that time, I keep meeting people who uh, can trace their lineage back to those original families. Well, my family is not so blessed. There are no Atwaters on the Mayflower. I'm not going to make that kind of boast. In fact, uh, they came to the United States quite a bit later. On the other side of my family, the, the history isn't so wonderful for Americans either. My mother came from two clans, the Mullen clan and the Phillips clan, and they were Tories during the American Revolution. So when uh, things got hot, they moved up to Canada to escape all of this kind of craziness. It was only when my grandfather took a job in northern Maine that, that my mom's family began to come back to the U.S. And so my mom was born in Canada. Now, stories like these are stories that we all share from time to time when we get together, when we get to know each other. We wonder, who are we? Where did we come from? What, what does the past lineage tell us about our family and the way that we were raised or the assumptions that we were raised with? And they matter to us because we long to know where we came from, how the past generations have contributed to us, and how that affects the way that we look at the world around us. I bring all this up today because it leads into where we're going to, to uh, focus this morning as we continue our Only God series. In this series, we're looking at events that can only be explained or understood through the direct intervention of God into human affairs. And so we've been looking at a handful of these Only God moments. Today's message is going to focus on the far-reaching implications of a promise that God made to a tent-dwelling nomad named Abram that continues to impact us and to enfold every Christian around the world, literally from every tribe, nation, color, and ethnicity. Through Abram's, Abram's, uh, God's promise to Abram, we discover another one of these only God moments, for only God could do something like this, where he creates the potential for a unity of people despite all the differences and all the divisions that we create as human beings. So our topic today, I'll explain a little bit later where this comes from. It's, it's called color-blessed. 
So welcome to Sunday morning at North River. I am so glad that you're here today. Uh, this is one of those Sundays when we let the hope and joy from last week's Easter celebrations filter through and follow through as we think through the implications of how the resurrection continues to impact the way that we live. And it brings hope and confidence for how we look at the world today. Let me offer a special welcome to all of you who are watching this service online. We're glad that you are part of us, but I hope that you will do far more than just watch. Uh, so I invite you to sing with us when we sing and pray with us when we pray and, and to worship and to learn with us right where you are. Download the teaching notes and, and follow along as best as you can and let us know what your thoughts are. We'd love to hear from you through an email or or if you download the My North River app, there's a way that you can connect with us. Here's the question for today. How far-reaching and inclusive is God's spiritual family and is God's legacy? The big idea that I want to get, to get across this morning is this. I'll give it to you right up front. Only God could turn one man's faith into a multi-ethnic family united by faith in Jesus. Let me show you where that comes from. We're going to look at this theme of being color-blessed and look at Abram's multi-ethnic family of promise. So here's the first observation from Genesis 12. God's redemption plan started with a yes, a very simple yes from Abram. And it doesn't show up in words, but it shows up in actions through his life. If we start at verse 1 in Genesis 12, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And then God makes a promise. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. If we take the full part of that, I will make your name great and will make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then the critical verse is verse 4. So Adam went as the Lord had told him. Genesis chapter 11 records the point where God's redemptive plan begins to be put into motion. Several gener generations after Noah, we are introduced to Abram as he appears in the line of Noah's son Shem. He was a desert dweller who lived in Ur of the Chaldeans, which is in today's Saudi Arabia. We don't know for sure, but he was likely an idol worshiper because most of the people of that time were, and he was 75 years old when God began to call on him. We know very little about the first 75 years of Abram's life. But we do discover in chapter 12 three essential features about the start. It started with a call, a promise, and a yes. I want you to say that with me. It started with a call, a promise, and a yes. Those three words. A call, a promise, and a yes. You remember that. You remember a whole lot about Abram's story. First, God called him to get out of his comfort zone and to leave his home and his family behind and go to a new place that he'd never been before. And that move would force him to put God above every other loyalty. I think there was genius in what God was doing. It would put him in a place of, of great dislocation from everything that had held him in the past and bring him to a place where God was going to bless his family for the future. The second feature was a promised blessing that was greater than Abram could ever imagine, and we're going to look at that promise a little bit later. And the third feature was a yes, an act of obedience that indicated that Abram would follow. We see this when Abram literally picks up his tents and he moves everything that he has and his tiny little family. He brings along his nephew Lot, and they move to this place where they'd never been, where they own no land, where they have no home. 
From this simple beginning, God's worldwide redemptive plan was launched. Think about that. All it took was for one person who was listening to God to say, yes, God. I believe that God does great things when we hear those whispers from God and we say yes and then we take the initiative to put our bodies in motion even though we don't know what the future holds. The promise indicated that the Creator God is a God of blessings. Many people don't think of God that way. They think of God as a God of laws, a God of punishment, a, a God that they fear. But Abram's initial introduction to God is that God is a God of blessings. From the first conversation that Abram has with God, he says, I want to bless you radically. I'm going to bless you so much that whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. And I want you to know something, that the God who calls on you, the God that we represent here every Sunday, is a God of great blessings. He wants to bless your life, often in ways that you and I cannot imagine. And it might be quite different than the American dream in how he wants to bless you, because it's not necessarily about material things. It's about the richness of your life. Upon leaving his father's home and his homeland, God would give him something, a land of his own, a people of his own, and this unparalleled sense of blessing. So when Abram left his homeland and headed for Canaan, the plan was put in motion, and God's plan swung into action through that one simple yes. This is the way that God often works with us. He has a plan for each of us. He comes to us with a calling. He calls us to follow Jesus. He calls us to leave behind the idols and the controlling things of our past, to leave our comfort zones and to put him first. And he's always looking for people who say yes to God. That principle is spelled out in 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's looking for hearts that are fully committed to him. Now, not, not people who just want to say, Lord, I, I'm with you when everything's really good, but hearts that are fully committed to him. God can use people like that, and he's longing for people who say yes to those kinds of plans. This makes us wonder, what can God do with a call, a promise, and a yes today? What, what will he do with your life when you say, yes, God, to whatever it is that you have planned for me? What blessings may lay on the other side of that call and that promise? So the first thought is that God's redemption plan started with a yes. Here's the second observation. Abram's key contribution was faith in action. A little while later in chapter 15, we read this one verse that describes probably the, the heart of, of Abram's contribution. It says, Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. So, Abram believed the Lord, and that faith in the Lord was counted by God as righteousness. In other words, as having done everything right in his life. When we meet Abram, he was 75 years old, married with no children. It is at this point that it's worth focusing on his name. The name Abram seems odd with his status because it means father of a nation. It's a combination of two Hebrew words. Ab means father and uh, Am means a people, a nation, or an ethnic group. But the Lord reiterated that the promise that he was giving would come through Abram and Sarai together despite the fact that they were well beyond childbearing years. At the age of 99, the Lord would appear to Abram again, and this time he would change his name to Abraham. 
At this point, Abram still didn't have a male heir through his wife, Sarai. Oh, he had another child because they'd come up with their own plan to kind of circumvent the way that God was taking too long in their time frame. And so they had, a, they had another child. They had a son through Sarah's handmaid, and this was going to cause all kinds of problems. But God had reiterated, no, it's through you and Sarah that I'm going to bless the world. And he reiterated that promise, and then he went a step farther. He said, Abram, I want to change your name, and from now on, you're going to be known as Abraham. Okay, Abram means father of a nation, and here's a guy with no kids. Father of a nation? Really, Abram? But he said, I'm going to change your name. I want you to let everybody know this is how you're to be called forevermore. You're Abraham, which means father of many nations. Even more ridiculous. And yet, a year later, when Abram was 100 and Sarah was nearly as old, their son Isaac was born, a miracle child. I'll bet a bunch of you have a, a miracle child, the child you thought would never be born or the, the child that was born with some kind of difficulty and you've seen how God has answered those prayers and you think of that child as, as your walking miracle. That's how they saw Isaac. He was their walking miracle who reminded them every day that they serve a God who makes promises and keeps promises. The Lord's promise focused on blessing Abraham's descendants. So we saw that uh, he has this name, uh, it's gone from Abram, father of a nation, to Abraham, father of many nations. And it's interesting the way that some of the translations take that word Am. It's not only in Abram's name, it was buried into the promise because the promise was that God would bless the nations through Abram. Some of the different translations uh, update that a little bit, and they say all families or family groups on earth will be blessed through you. So to those who met Abram along the way, before Isaac was born, this must have seemed absolutely ridiculous. Here's this man who doesn't worship any of their idols and their gods, who instead follows an unseen God who's childless, who's telling them about the promise that God has made, and he goes around with this name declaring that he'll be the father of many nations, and he'll become a blessing to many nations. You see, Abram lived a life of faith because he trusted God's word for all of this. Maybe where you're sitting right now with way, the way your life is unfolding, you're wondering, how on, our, how on earth could God ever bless my life? I haven't seen those kinds of blessings. It's been hard. And as I look at my future, there's a whole lot that's unknown. There are things that are hanging out yet ahead of us that seem like there's a difficult part of the journey that's right in front of us. But I have to tell you, if you press through, God often is maturing our faith and deepening our faith and testing our faith through those seasons and through those years. And that's what was happening with Abraham. Abraham's life became an illustration of faith in action. So Genesis 15, 6 says, Abram believed the Lord, and that was credited to him as righteousness. In Romans chapter 4 that we're going to look at in a few minutes, the apostle Paul points out that Abraham was not ju justified by God because of his good works, but he was justified by his faith. In other words, he was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. And Paul adds that everyone who lives by faith is spiritually a child of Abraham regardless of who your ancestors are. Here's the third move. The first was God's redemption plan starts with a yes. Abram's key contribution was faith in action. And here's the third step. God chose Abram for a multi-ethnic ministry. 
Here's this one tent dweller living in Saudi Arabia whose ears are opening. I don't know how. I don't know why. I'm wondering if he was seeing how the people of his day worshipped all these different idols. And he's looking up at the stars one night as he's, as he's walking and he sees the stars. He says, there has to be a God who's greater than all this who created it. God, would you speak to me? I wonder if that's what preceded that call. But look deeper into the promise that, make, that God makes to Abram. Genesis 12, 2 and 3. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. So I'm going to make you into a great nation, and your name is going to be great. In other words, people are going to have high regard for you, and you will be a blessing. So wherever you go, you're going to be a blessing to other people. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. So things are going to happen around this special favor that God is extending to Abram. Things are going to happen to other people based on how they treat Abram, how they think about Abram. But here's the ultimate part. All peoples, that, that's not a spelling mistake. It means all people groups, all ethnic groups will be blessed through you. So when we look closer, we realize that God was promising far more than a physical family to Abraham. We just had Pat and Shirley and their two boys up here, and we kind of celebrate those moments because many of us know what it's like to have uh, little children and to, to want to seek God's blessing and God's favor in their lives. That's what we were praying for just a little bit ago. And God wanted that for Abram, but he wanted far more too. So the first promise that God makes is to make Abram into a great nation or a great people group. We see that fulfilled through the literal legacy of Abram's family with the people of Israel. Despite the fact that others have tried to stamp them out throughout history, they are still here. One of the great proofs of the existence of God is the existence of Israel today. It's an amazing thing that God isn't finished with that group of people. Uh, Adolf Hitler tried to bring all the forces of the world in his part to stamp them out and to, to literally extinguish them. And he wasn't the first and probably won't be the last who tried to do that. The second promise is that Abram's name will be great. His reputation will grow. There will be favor that is, is brought toward his name. Third, the Lord tells him he'll become a blessing to other peoples. Those who bless him will be blessed. Those who curse him will be cursed. But ultimately, the plan was so great that all of the people groups throughout the world are to be blessed through Abram. What do you see when you consider all the people groups of the world? Perhaps we think of tribal groups, nationalities. There are cultures and customs that can sometimes separate different groups of people. Sometimes that's very, been very pronounced in our country. There are differences between the north and the south or the east and the west and uh, different areas of the country think differently, different cultures and customs. In other countries, there are, are sects or uh, there, there are, are tribal groups that are at war within the, the same nation because things are so different. There are caste systems that separate who will talk to who and how they will be regarded. And then there are colors that get added to all of that. Recently, I listened to an interview with Dr. Derwin Gray. Duran is a really interesting guy. He was a former NFL football player. He was a hard-hitting safety, sometimes played linebacker for both the Indianapolis Colts and for the Carolina Panthers. 
He became a Christian when he was 28 through the witnessing of another NFL player. He called this guy the naked evangelist because he was always in the locker room after games with a towel wrapped around him, and that's when he would talk to Duran about Jesus. And Duran thought, this guy was absolutely crazy. This is when he talks to me about Jesus when he's sitting there with just a towel wrapped around himself. But in his mind, he still is grateful to God that this naked evangelist, as he's labeled him, would take time in the locker room to tell him about the stuff that really mattered. And that's where they began talking about Jesus. And eventually, that was the guy that led Derwin to look closer and ultimately to embrace Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Later on, he planted a multi-ethnic church just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. It's called Transformation Church. The church is about 55% white and 45% black and Asian and other nationalities. He was asked to speak recently about his insights on racial reconciliation. And he was asked, was the key to reconciliation becoming colorblind where we don't see color? Now, if you you know, that was one of the things that Martin Luther King talked about in that most famous speech of his. But it wasn't the only thing that Dr. King said. But he talked about people being judged by the character, uh, the content of their character rather than by their color, which is a great goal. Duran had an interesting answer to that question. He said no. And he argued for, instead, adopting the concept of seeing ourselves as color-blessed. And so the interviewer asked him, what do you mean by that? And he said he understood Dr. King's point about being judged by the content of our character, not by the color of our skin. But he argued that becoming color-blind is both impossible and unbiblical. That is, that... uh, His idea is based on Abram being told that he would become the father of many ethnic groups. In other words, all the way back in Genesis 12 in the day of of Abraham, there were many different ethnic groups, and God was making a plan to include all of them, not where we don't see them, not where they're all the same, but rather where we consider ourselves blessed because of the richness of what different color groups and different tribal groups and different ethnic groups, which are all bound up in that Hebrew word am, of what they bring to the mix, and that God saw from a distance of one gathering of the people of God who would be made up of all of these different groups, which makes every race and every color a part of God's original reconciliation plan that ultimately became called the church. I was listening to that, and I had an only God moment. I thought, we live in a world where people break down people according to our differences. Our political strategists do that every week, and they feed us this stuff in the news, and they break down our culture according to all these different uh, groups that line up with one affiliation or another. God does just the opposite. God is trying to bring together all of these differences and, ex- and allow us to experience the richness of what we experience, where his goal isn't to make us all look the same or think exactly the same, but come with our differences, with our richness, to the same Jesus so that we can be one church that has this wonderful breadth of depth and variation. Only God could do something like this. Only God could take a childless 75-year-old couple and turn their yes by faith into an international multicultural plan for blessing the world. Through the centuries, there are people who studied Abram's life and the promises that God made to Abram and said, okay, where's the evidence that God is going to do this? How's that going to happen? And we see that begin to unfold when Jesus comes into the world 
And as persecution begins to separate the first church in Jerusalem, and wherever they go to different countries, they present the gospel, and they start thinking differently about how the gospel of grace can be conveyed and taught in all these different culture groups throughout the world. In Romans 4, the, the, the gospel puts it this way. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abram's offspring, not only those who are of the law, meaning Jewish people, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Paul is directly quoting the promise from Genesis 12 here in, in Romans 4 when he speaks of Abraham being the father of many nations. Here's the idea that we're, we're, we're chasing. Only God could turn one man's faith or one man's yes into a multi-ethnic family united by faith in Jesus. Okay, where do we see that play out? The fourth movement is that Abram's yes leads to God's multi-ethnic vision. Let me walk you just through three glimpses of what God is doing that we see in the New Testament. One glimpse of that family of faith comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 11. There it says, Therefore God exalted him, meaning Jesus, to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And get this, verse 11, And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. When, it uses, when the, Paul uses the word tongue, he's not just talking about the physical tongue that you and I have in our mouths, but he's using tongue to describe the way that we talk, the languages, the, the, the languages that we speak with. So every tongue there represents every possible tribal group that has its own way of communicating. He's saying this is the, the picture of, of people all around the world. When Jesus returns, it will be people of every possible ethnic group and nationality and tribal makeup and color who are bowing before Jesus and who are proclaiming the name of Jesus. That's a wonderful picture of what is yet to come. Another glimpse of this multiracial family shows up in Revelation chapter 7. This is verse 9. John writes, After I looked, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. So this is going to be a really big gathering. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and we're holding palm branches in their hands. So the New Testament gives us this fuller vision of God's people. There are people who will be gathered at the throne of God from every nation and tongue. They will bow before Jesus. One day heaven will be filled with people from every nation, tribe, people, and language, Revelation says, who stand before the throne in white robes, which signifies they've conquered, they've overcome all of the trials and the sins of this world. And they will be holding palm branches. What's that remind you of? They're holding palm branches. Before, what day? Palm Sunday. So it's, it's, it's deliberately evoking that scene of people waving their palm branches in acknowledgement of the king, and they lay down their cloaks that day as if to say, we want to pave the way for your coming. That there's going to be the biggest Palm Sunday celebration you can ever imagine in the kingdom of heaven. As people celebrate together the victory of God through our King Jesus. Jesus then fueled the, the fulfillment of this vision with some of his final words that he gave to his disciples that are written in Acts 1 verse 8. There he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
And in all Judea and Samaria, which are two provinces that didn't get along with each other, and to the ends of the earth. The worldwide missions movement aims toward the fulfillment of this vision. And the apostles of Jesus spent the rest of their lives taking the gospel around their world, thinking like missionaries about how to reach different people groups. That mission continues today as the gospel goes out to all nations, as the Bible is translated into every known language and tongue. Every time you and I go, every time you and I give to worldwide mission efforts, we lean into this biblical vision and its gradual fulfillment. Every time we welcome people of a different color than your own, people from different ethnic backgrounds than your own, people from other nations from our own, into our fellowship, we lean into this vision. It's something that God longs to see. And together, we become part of the way that God is fulfilling a promise that he made to Abraham some 4,000 years ago. I have a, a wonderful Jewish friend who is very secular in the way he thinks about it, and he often says, why on earth would it matter what God said to some nomad in the desert thousands of years ago? And I always counter, it matters far more than you know because the hope of the world is embedded in that promise. And the fact that God keeps working toward the fulfillment of that vision enfolds people from every nation and every country. And he looks at me kind of puzzled, and I keep hoping that he will come to an understanding of what God had in mind with Abraham. Abraham's only God moment becomes our only God moment when we lean into the vision that God gave him then and that he is still unfolding us holding before us today. Only God could take one man's yes, one man's faith, and turn that into a multi-ethnic family united by faith in Jesus. Isn't it marvelous what he's doing? Now, why is this one of the ten messages? Why? Very simple reason. We're not here just for ourselves. We're here as, as part of something that God is doing that is meant to bless the entire world. And you and I always want to be a part of this great blessing that God had in the mind at the beginning of his redemption plan. And you and I are being, are being enfolded into that, and we're being asked to continue to reach out wider to enfold others into what God is doing because the celebration at the end is going to blow your mind. And we don't want to miss, have anybody miss that celebration. If you're thinking through the song we sang a little while ago, this is why Jesus will knock down every wall while he will chase you down and try to bring you back because he wants you there for the celebration at the end. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to walk through these only God moments. And I pray that you would hear our prayers. There are people in this congregation today we're saying, God, only you can answer the one thing that's most deeply in my heart. God, only you can reach some of these folks who are either part of my family or part of my workplace or part of my neighborhood who are so resistant to you, but would you create an only God moment in their life too where they're drawn toward you and where they can experience some of what we are experiencing together. God, break down the fears that people in the church at large have towards those who are different and allow us instead to 
be filled with wonder and to appreciate the beauty that you give us with all the different colors, all the different language groups, all the different ethnic backgrounds that will become one body of people who are united with Christ forever. Help us to be a part of that. Help us to continue to lean into that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.